The Trek Geeks Podcast Network is proud to have Fansets as our presenting sponsor. Stay tuned for release information and a special discount code good on your next order at fansets.com. Fansets. Our pins have character. This episode is also sponsored by Science Division, the makers of the galaxy's first interactive Tribble. Find out more about their special holiday sale later in the show. Science Division. Trouble's never been this fun. Hi, this is Gates McFadden, who played Dr. Beverly Crusher from Star Trek The Next Generation, and you're listening to the Trek Geeks Podcast with Bill Smith and Dan Davidson. From the questionable special effects department at Podfleet Command, it's the biggest... <laughs> you liked that one, didn't you? It's yeah. the biggest little show this side of the Alpha Quadrant and the flagship of the Trek Geeks Podcast Network. Greetings to you, Trekkies and Trekkers all across the globe, and welcome to the Trek Geeks Podcast. This is episode number 297. Wow, three away, and I am Bill Smith, your co-host. Um, he is really troubled by the math because that's really not his strong suit as he looks into the camera befuddled he's dan davidson and he's my co-host um dan uh, we're getting close to a magic number we are uh, it is 298 it's coming right around the corner that's pretty that's awesome good for you yeah and no, plus no. one is really working out <laughs> yeah no, it's a it's hard to believe that in a couple of episodes we will be at the 300th of the Trek Geeks podcast. I, I still can't believe it. I still pinch myself. Literally, I just did. I got a bruise on my arm now. Um, it's been <laughs> it's been fantastic. Every one of the episodes, um, I, I still can't believe it, man. And uh, I'll, I'll give you a, a premature congratulations because it's been quite a ride and I'm looking forward to it. But that's still a couple of weeks away. So let's, we don't have to talk about that. Still a few weeks away. It's amazing. It took us eight years to hit 300 episodes, but you and I like taking time off. So <laughs> we um, do. Yes. Plus, we don't, we don't like working that hard. I don't work hard at all. No, believe me, I know it. Um, <laughs> I've done a podcast with you for eight years. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks a lot. No, yeah. you're welcome. But uh, this time we're going to go go back to the original series to talk about an episode that uh, I, I I really hate to admit I really love. Yeah, I, I don't hate to admit it. I really love this episode, too. And it's, uh, um, we've done some deep dives recently, and I said, you know, let's, let's keep going. Let's, let's, let's pick another one that we like. So today we're going to talk about season one episode Operation Annihilate. There's some great stuff in this episode. And whenever we deep dive, we like to talk about all the stuff we love, but we really like to make fun of stuff in the episode too. And I have a, a just a, a teeny tiny feeling that we're going to be doing that with this one because there's a lot to make fun of, but it's a great episode. I have no idea what you're talking about. That sounds <laughs> preposterous. Um, no, it's great. It's a great episode. I love it. And I didn't realize, I'm sure we're going to get into the details of it. I didn't realize until my rewatch just this week that it was the season one finale, even though they didn't have finales back then. I was going to bring that up when we actually got to the whole episode thing, you know, that, that thing that we talk about during the show. Yeah. Well, we'll um, talk about it then too. Yeah. Thanks for, uh, thanks for just wetting people's appetites, my friend. That's what I do. 
I was going to say taking away one of my key points, but um, I look at the positive side of things. I always do. Who are you, and what have you done with Dan Davidson? <laughs> John Billingsley, Phil Flox, Hollywood Food Coalition here. Guess what? Trek Talks 2. It's happening. You asked for it. You got it. January 14, eight hours of premium Star Trek entertainment. Amazing guests, mad capery, insightful social commentary, musical interludes. Support HoFoCo. Check us out at HoFoCo.org, helping people in need for almost 40 years. 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, on the 14th of January at TrekTalks.net. Live long and mark your calendars. Again, TrekTalks.net. Well, Dan, so here we are. Um, Operation Annihilate. It's, yeah. As you pointed out before uh, before the uh, the segment bumper there, the, the last episode of season one, which, by the way, has an inordinate amount of episodes in it. It uh, does. It's like 25 or something like that. It is. There is a lot of episodes in season one. Uh, oh, no, it's, it's not like the, today's the 29th television. episode. <laughs> 29. Mike, that's long. That's bigger season than like TNG and DS9 used to have. That's incredible. By three. Yeah. Wow. That's that's something else. But uh, I didn't realize it was the finale. Um, and it's it, it, they could have had a really big cliffhanger. If you if you want to think about it a little bit, if they had them back yeah. then, that could have ended really uh, special back in 1967. But uh, they didn't do that yet. But it was still it's it's fun. I really like the episode. You know, I, this is one of my guilty pleasure episodes. I I don't necessarily like it because of the story because I think there are some questionable choices in this episode, which we'll get to later. Yeah. But I mean, I I, I love the monsters. <laughs> I love the I monsters. Shouldn't, I do. I shouldn't love the monsters. I do. You know? If there's one thing that high def has taught me is that I can see some of the imperfections. So there's a shot where one of those, uh, those we'll, we'll call them the amoebas for want of a better word, those single cell, yes. you know, uh, monster things. They're on the, the fake AstroTurf. Yes. And you can kind of see the scene <laughs> in the AstroTurf where they put the hose for the air bladder that's inside the fake monster. And it's on Blu-ray, it's, it's almost kind of noticeable, but you see a definite imperfection in the AstroTurf. And I'm thinking to myself, well, I never noticed that in standard def before. This high def is really amazing. Yeah, it, it really is. I love, I love the creatures in this episode because they're so corny. You know, everybody always talks about Star Trek with the zippered, zippered monster uniforms and everything like that. <laughs> but then you have something like this where basically they're just taking a bunch of melted plastic and rubber and, and, and flying it around a room on a, on a string or something like that. And it just, it just works. It just, it really does. As corny as it is, there's a lot of, there's a lot of parts of this episode that you're like, oh my God. And, uh, and the, and the, the creatures are, are certainly one of those. Well, it works and it doesn't. You know, there are things about the things that, that should work that, that kind of work, but they really have no right working in this episode. Well, I you think know? that goes, I think that credits the other things around the creatures that, make it work and i'll i'll use one example right off right off the top is when spock gets attacked his reaction sells it, it i was going to talk about that later it. when we got to oh wow that's number two okay jumping ahead Sorry. stop I, it. I, that's not in the copy so i didn't know you were going to do that <laughs> it's uh when we talk about acts two through four that's kind of where that oh, comes in okay all right well everybody um, just forget i just said that yeah they probably will because you were talking um <laughs> But we should point out, because we like to try and do this when we remember, mm -hmm. this episode, Operation Annihilate, first aired April 13th, 1967. Wow. Wasn't even born. Um, yeah, neither was I. It's a good two and a half years before we were born. Yeah. Uh, 
it was written by Stephen W. Carabazos, who has written a bunch of television and directed by Herschel Dougherty. Um, we like to credit these folks because a lot of times we don't talk about the people who wrote the episode right. or the people who directed the episode. Um, you know, we like to talk about at times the lighting and the music, but you know, the contributions of, of these folks are, are certainly not insignificant. Um, so essentially for those, if you haven't watched operation annihilate or, or haven't watched it in a while, Dan, mm. why don't you kind of thumbnail what the plot is about? Oh, thumbnail. Okay, well, basically, uh, the den of a colony is attacked by flying parasites that cause mass insanity while the crew of the Enterprise searches for a way to stop them from continuing their quest across the galaxy. So, yeah, nothing really big at all. No. You know? Um, When I think about this episode, you know, I, I try to think when I watch original series episodes, how would that translate today? And I think that this episode with today's special effects could be absolutely terrifying. Huge. Yes, absolutely. I, I cannot agree more. I think they could use basically every aspect of this episode, basically just refilm it, but everything else stay the same and it could be terrifying because yeah. of today's special effects. Yeah, absolutely. I absolutely um, agree. One of the things we'd like to do is go back and take a look at Memory Alpha and look at some of the the facts regarding the episode. Mm-hmm. And this is, you know, the, the sort of the grammar and punctuation person in me um, really kind of appreciates this fact. And this episode and Voyager's Bride of Chaotica are the only two in the Star Trek franchise that incorporate the exclamation point as part oh. of their title. Interesting. Is it, is it the only one that I noticed this when I was doing my rewatch is it the only one that encompasses two dashes between the words? Because I've never seen that before. It is. Ha. Huh. Okay. Interesting. It but is. Yeah. I, next- I, I, I always, I always like that. Um, the dashes really kind of throw me off because I would expect it would be a colon, or just one dash. I, I don't yeah, know. But yeah. I mean, when I think of operation, whatever, I think of a colon in between. Mm-hmm. Um, but. You know, the, the nerd in me really kind of appreciates that. Um, this, uh, you don't really glean a lot from the title as to what Operation Annihilate could possibly be. Yeah. Um, I'm kind of glad they didn't call it the flying fake puke monsters of Deneva. <laughs> because I don't think anyone would have watched it. No, I don't think so. Ooh, that would that would never gotten through the uh, censors back in the 60s. <laughs> the flying puke monsters. <laughs> That'd be a song yeah. like they used to play on the radio, like the Purple People Eater or something. Maybe Five Year Mission will do a song about flying puke monsters. Oh, there you go. Just ooh, like a special. That. You're gonna get a writing credit for that? No, I don't want one. Okay, good, excellent. No. I'm not. A, I'm not a musician. You know, <sighs> that's true. Um, the other that's thing, true. Stephen W. Carabazos, who, like I said, has written a bunch of television in his career, had an obligation in his contract that he must deliver at least one script of his own while serving as story editor. Well, he left the series, like. Six months before this, six, seven months, but he still had to fulfill this particular task while departing. Um, having no idea of his own, Gene Roddenberry suggested one entitled Operation Destroy, with an exclamation point, um, which was essentially the basis for this episode, according to the Mark Cushman book, These Are the Voyages, TOS Season 1. Uh, Interesting. Uh, I, have, I have a hard time believing that Gene, one, didn't have an idea, but two... <laughs> Um, wow, we really need a 29th episode in the season. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, it's, it still blows my mind that 
a low budget. Well, it wasn't low budget for back then, but they did that many episodes. No wonder they always talked about just how crazy the hours were. I mean, we heard that with TNG and DS9, that they'd be pulling 20-hour days um, for their 26-episode seasons. But yeah, 29. And I didn't realize that that season one was that long. It's just not something that you really think about. Um, And again... I, I said it before, just the fact that this was this, the season finale is something I never realized until just this week. And it was an expensive show to produce. Yes. You know, you think about the fact that, that Desilu was pumping money into this thing. On set. And they did 29 episodes season one. Yeah. Unreal. And that they Absolutely. were they were on they they did like outside filming, which wasn't something that they did much in in season one. They were always on yeah. sets, but they were outside and um, I don't even know where that was where they did the filming. I'm sure it's in the notes here on uh, on Memory Alpha, but um, yeah, so that's got to you know that's expensive to do that as well. And also, the first draft of Operation Destroy dun, dun. Did, did not feature Kirk's brother Sam and his family. Uh, in that version, a Denovan woman named Aurelian was in love with a young man named Cartan or Carton, whatever you want to call him, who flew his ship into the sun to destroy the creatures. Ah. Uh, Aurelian and her father were not infected and helped the Enterprise crew in their research. Honestly, I think that would have been a little more compelling. That would have been kind of cool. I mean, the whole you know, the whole Kirk's brother thing, I mean, it was so so small a part of the episode. Um, we'll get there. We'll, we'll get, get there. there. Uh, but yeah, that that is very interesting. But let's There's talk a, about- I, That's why I love Memory Alpha. Fantastic. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it pulls together a lot of resources from a lot of places. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's talk about Act 1. You know, we talk about flying that ship into the sun. And that's um, that's really weird. You know, we've never had a Star Trek show kind of do that at this point. Uh, it seems like a really drastic act. It seems like this person may not be fully with it. Um, but it's um, it does pose really kind of an interesting problem for Kirk, who... All of a sudden decides we got to get to Denova and fast, but doesn't really say why. Yeah, true. And and I'll tell you what, in the remastered version, um, that ship flying into the sun or flying near the sun, we don't actually see it get destroyed, but we see it flying towards the sun. It's really pretty nice. Uh, it look it looks yeah. really good. And it, it makes me think, so they have all these, you know, what happens later on in the episode, which we'll get to, but what made this guy decide to think maybe flying close to the sun will help everything and, and we'll be rid of this of this insanity? We don't really get an, any idea as to why the person decided to do that, even though later on we kind of find out a little bit. Yeah, I think he thinks at that point it's really the only option he's got left. And considering how much pain he seems to be in just from his radio transmission, um, I guess I can understand that. So a landing party decides to beam down. Um, and, uh, you know, it's a, it's a bunch of people. It's Kirk. It's Spock. It's some of the usual characters. Uh, Scotty. um, Yeoman Zara, was that the <laughs> name? We never see again or never, never saw again. before, but she didn't die. <laughs> she, she doesn't die. And, you know, Spock all of a sudden is like, you know, this is a, this planet's supposed to be hopping, but things are pretty calm. It's quiet. Um, or Spock says, strangely quiet. <laughs> um, yeah. They beam into the capital city and it's just 100,000 people. Nobody's around. Nobody. Zero. And uh, yet they still get attacked. <laughs> <laughs> By a bunch of people with some really interesting looking uh, weapons, club we- yeah. club type weapons. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But the interesting thing is that they're warning them. They're saying, go away. We don't yeah. want to hurt you as they're standing there ready to attack them. And then they attack them. And here comes my first flaw of the episode I'm going to talk about, Bill, because it's in this very yeah. scene. Yeah. The voiceover dubbing work in this episode is really bad. 
Yes. Pre- prepare to fire. Fire. I mean, it just it you it doesn't sound like he's outside. It's it happens so quick. Um, the special effects of the phasers aren't all that great in this episode, even in the remaster. But I gotta say, there's more than one scene where the they had to do some additional voiceover work and yeah. and put it into the episode. It really you can really hear it in this one scene when he tells everybody to fire. So in a planet of or a city of a hundred thousand people. They hear one scream and Kirk automatically goes, oh, we got to go to my brother's lap because, <laughs> um, by the way, my brother and his wife and family live on Denova. Uh-huh. Um, that would have been good to know before they ever got there, but okay, whatever. Um, He's private man. Yeah, but it's, it's the only place that scream could have been coming from. <laughs> um, bit of a stretch, but all right, let's go with it. Okay. They get there. Uh, his brother, Sam, is dead on the floor. His sister-in-law, Aurelian, is hysterical, mm-hmm. and his nephew, Peter, is just seemingly unconscious yes, nearby. but looking like he's in pain. But, yeah, clearly. I'd be Winston, in pain if I Winston. were on that show, too. Yeah. <laughs> um, and this is kind of where we have to bring up the just the elephant in the room. Mm-hmm. Um, the choice to put Bill Shatner in a fake mustache and make him Sam Kirk. He's great. And they put that mustache in Strange New Worlds, which is even better. <laughs> I know, yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, it's um, it's the one. It's a very quick scene where we get to see uh, his brother, uh, dead Sam, on the floor, uh, and it's Shatner with interesting lighting that wasn't there in the over-the-shoulder shot, but is on the next shot where they show him turning his body over, and he's got a mustache, and it's it's one that you remember always. <laughs> I know I, I mean, do. The character has no lines. Couldn't they have just used some extra or day player and said, yeah, that's Shatner's, uh, that's Kirk's brother. They could have used Kirk's stunt double because they supposedly look a little bit alike and it would have been great, but they didn't. Absolutely. Um, One of the things I like about this scene, Bill, is at the very beginning, and it's kind of what makes the creatures work, even though the creatures themselves don't work, is is his sister-in-law is hysterical trying to block that vent. And she is screaming that they're here, they're here. That really works. And that gives you kind of an eerie feeling of what's going on. And I'm going to say it right now. I don't mean to be disrespectful in any way, shape, or form. The actress, who I I can't think of her name at the moment. I'll I'll pull up in a second. She's the best screamer of any episode of Star Trek. She has bone-chilling screams in this episode, especially in sickbay right before she dies. It's just, It's just... It really is like every time I listen, it's like, wow, she she knows how to scream. I'm screaming right now. <laughs> um, but let's go to the other key development in Act One, and that is the infection of Spock. Mm-hmm. So the landing party goes into this. It looks like a typical 1960s stairwell, essentially, with fake AstroTurf. <laughs> And horrible plants. And they and notice some fans these, blowing the stuff around or something. Yeah. 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 And they notice these creatures that really kind of alarmingly look like fake vomit that you mm-hmm. would see comic book ads for in, exactly. know, the, in the 60s and 70s. Yeah. Um, and they don't register on Spock's strike order. Mm-hmm. They fire phasers at it. No effect. No, nothing. Um, and really the amazing development in this scene is how they got one of those pieces of flying puke to fly across the room and land on Leonard's back. Perfectly. <laughs> How many takes did that <laughs> that's warrant? A good, that's a good question, but it works. Well, I, it, it's interesting to think that 
if you go ahead, go ahead. You know, you're you're dying over there. I'm dying because all I just started thinking about was that commercial. We've got to be quicker than that. The guy with the with the fishing pole and the guy, I got you a dollar. You got to be quicker. I for some reason I just think that there's a guy offset with a pole with the string on it, and he has to somehow get it to go over to Leonard's back. That just popped into my head. I found it quite funny. You're not even smiling, so you carry on with what you were gonna say. <laughs> <laughs> The best part is you you worked yourself into realizing that nobody else knows what the hell I'm talking about. Um, you have, it made you crack up, and really, that's all that matters. That's buddy. all that matters. I guess so. Thank you. Um, but yeah, they're these these blobs of of grossness that seem to be everywhere. Yes, and they make this really weird noise, like you mm. made earlier. Yeah. Um, and this appears to be what's at play here. This is what's decimated this city of a hundred thousand people. And Oh, by the way, they went after Spock. Um, it's, you're right. The look that Leonard gives in that scene, when they go to commercial break is absolutely just selling the fact that he is in tremendous, immense pain. And you know what just got real. Yeah, it got real, and it, the, as as powerful as that scene is, because Leonard sells it and, again, makes the creatures work, even though they're fake vomit, another poor dubbing, 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 not dumbing, dubbing, of, <laughs> Spock, are you all right? Can you stand? I mean, that is just, it is like, it is so different than the rest of the sound of the dialogue and the rest of that scene. It's just something that throws me off every time I watch it, but just the way that Spock is looking up and he's, like, just got this wild look in his eyes. You know something's bad. Something bad going down. End of end of scene one. That 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 image of of Kirk kind of holding onto Spock and cradling him as Leonard has just sort of got his arms splayed out. Yeah, and looks like he's you know he's he's just had you know lava poured on his his legs or whatever. Um, really, it's just the defining image of that scene. Here's here's a question about Kirk not really acting as he should, and he let his emotions get the better of him. So they don't know what these creatures are. They don't register on tricorders. Force three phasers do nothing to it. This one flies on Spock's back. Spock is obviously in pain. And what does Kirk do? With his bare hands, he just grabs this thing and rips it. I don't think yeah. that was a very smart thing to do. <laughs> There's a bunch of things in this episode <laughs> that we're going to talk about after the break um, that really are questionable as far as Kirk is concerned. Um, just... Things that just really don't sit well with me. But uh, before we get to that, why don't you and I do a little business with America and talk about our friends at Fansets? Absolutely. Dan, as always, we want to take a moment to thank our friends at Fansets for being the presenting sponsor of the Trek Geeks Podcast Network. Yeah, we certainly do. Thank you, Fansets, for everything you guys do. We know that you're constantly at work to produce the very finest, high-quality, licensed Star Trek pins, and we are always excited for your new releases. So, listeners, head on over to Fansets.com right now to pick up the latest releases, which include the Future Imperfect Lieutenant Delta, available in both pin and magnet form. The Star Trek Picard Season 2 Europa Mission logo pin. The amazing Robin Curtis autograph pin. And the 2022 Special Holiday pin. It's everyone's favorite slimy little dude, 
No, not Bill. It's Holiday Murph. Uh, and like I said, you can find them all right now over at fansets.com. Wow, and the Holiday Morph pin is just so great. And just as an FYI, everybody, the Holiday Morph pin is limited to just two pins per customer. So get yours now because they are sure to sell out. So you know what happens next. Head over to fansets.com, put all those pins that Dan mentioned and two of those Morph pins in your cart, maybe some accessories, gift cards, whatever. And at checkout, be sure to enter the special discount code word TrekGeeks for 10% off your entire order. That's Trek Geeks in all capital letters with no spaces. And of course, don't forget, when you spend more than $30, you'll automatically get free shipping in the United States. Fansets. Our pins have character. And we thank our friends at Fansets for being the presenting sponsor of the Trek Geeks Podcast Network. So getting back into Operation Annihilate... We, we get the landing party back to the ship, and uh, of course McCoy goes to work on Spock, and it just it doesn't seem to be going well. Mm. You know McCoy is uncharacteristically flummoxed to some degree. You don't see McCoy look almost depressed, um, almost um, at his wit's end in a sense because nobody has an answer. And he snaps at Nurse Chapel. <laughs> yeah, he really does. <laughs> Big time. Um, I, it, this is one of the times where I'm glad the special effects in the 60s weren't where they are today. But could you imagine if they showed what was inside Spock's back while he was trying to do surgery? I can only imagine those tentacles squirming around and wrapping around his spine. And it, that would have just been horrific. I'd never thought of that before. That'd be so cool. Uh, blah, 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 blah. But yeah, it's, it's yeah. But obviously, um, obviously, Chapel is very surprised when he decides to close him up, um, which which she gets uh, yelled at for. But uh, yeah, you're right. He he doesn't know what to do. He's depressed, but in some ways, he's panicking. I think inside, yeah. yeah. Um, and it's it's really a part of McCoy. Um, that's that's really that's really. He always has that eyebrow raise when he's when he's really stressed out, and he does that a lot in this episode. The other thing about McCoy, totally off topic, this episode I see more than any other episode in Star Trek his little pinky ring that he always wore. You know, I never noticed it until Star Trek Six: The Undiscovered Country, and that's because I happen to see it larger than life on a movie screen, and then. After that, I went back and noticed it and everything else. So I don't know if I just didn't pay attention or if on standard def, I just really didn't <laughs> see it. You know right. what I mean? Yep. Um, but I totally get what you're saying. Um, I, I think the thing that, that really gets me is that, you know, Spock really tries to talk himself into the fact that pain is a thing of the mind and the mind can be controlled. That That's part of the line that he gives. But I mean, in reality, um, Spock, yes, maybe that's true. You're half human, buddy. Yeah. Um, and, <laughs> pain, it, pain is very, very real. It's not just and, a thing of the mind. And he keeps saying it's a thing of the mind and there is no pain. But when he's saying that, he's constantly twitching because he's in pain. In pain. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's, it's another one of those aspects. If it was a total Vulcan, would we have gotten a different reaction? Or is it the human part that's causing that, uh, no matter how much you think it, pain is going to affect you type of thing? And another another great example of how Leonard was able to really work both sides of the human and Vulcan into his character. 
Yeah. But of course, Spock's going to Spock. So what does he do? <laughs> does he stay in sick bay and get treated? No. He breaks he puts those on his uniform. really strong looking security straps. Yeah. <laughs> he he decides he's going to get back in uniform and maybe he's going to take him a little field trip down to Denova. <laughs> um, not a great idea. So, you know, what does he do? He he, he nerve pinches Leslie, um, decides he's going to try to get in the transporter. And um, eventually Kirk is like, well... Um, yeah, I guess he probably should do that. I love <laughs> Even though Kirk gave the order that nobody should beam down. I love Scotty in that, though. Stop right there, Mr. Spock, and I'll put you down for sure. He's <laughs> <laughs> so good in that. But but you know what? Even though Kirk was the one who said nobody beams down, you can't argue with Spock's logic as to the reason why he's going to go down. He didn't go about it the right way. Everybody can agree to that. He's the only person that should go down because he's already been, been infected. What's no, the point absolutely. of put somebody else in danger? No, absolutely. And what's Scotty going to do? Scotty's going to follow Kirk's order. Absolutely. It doesn't matter should've. that it doesn't matter that Spock, who you know has a higher rank than than um, than Scotty, his first officer, says, "No, I'm beaming down." Scotty's like, "Nope, Mm-mm. not unless you're captain, you ain't. Nope. Not unless uh, you let me shoot you with the little phaser that they use this entire episode, not the regular ones, but that's a story for another time." Right, right. <laughs> so Spock beans down, and almost immediately, there's a colonist that decides to step to him. Um, and, I mean, I don't get why. Uh, Spock's already infected. Yeah. Um, maybe the colonist doesn't know that, but uh, what does Spock do? He, he hauls out another nerve pinch, um, and Spock is like, do-do-do, going on my way. Right next to that big red mosaic wall. <laughs> Which really looks cool. Very nice. And so th- this is the one weapon. We talked about the weapons that the colonists had. This guy yeah. had like a super weapon. It was really shiny silver and a big circle at the top. What kind of, what kind of tool was that? <laughs> well, I don't know. Sure. I don't know what they need tools like that for on Denova, but that was a really weird looking tool. It makes me wonder if it was part of some art installation <laughs> that he just broke a piece off of. Yeah. Um, yeah. But- but yeah, so what does Spock do? He goes down to get a a, a specimen of the fake puke. <laughs> this is the thing that really gets me. So he brings down what looks like a spray painted toolbox, lunchbox. <laughs> yeah, or yeah, lunchbox, whatever. Yeah. Um, and it's got some plastic plastic salad tongs in there. Let <laughs> me. Oh. And he shoots it with a phaser, which previously really had no effect. Yeah, and he just. I love the way Leonard just picks up the fake puke, tosses it in the toolbox with the tongs and closes the lid. It's like, yep, <laughs> day's over, job's done, it's Miller time. No gloves. <laughs> no uh, gloves. And, and like you said, he throws, he puts that in the in the lunchbox and they throws the tongs on top of the creature and closes yeah. it up with, I think there was a little tiny piece of it still hanging out when he closed it. Like just a teeny tiny bit. I wasn't positive, but I thought I saw that. That would have been even better. It, it's the fan in me that wonders, okay, they beams back to the Enterprise. How do they get that out of the toolbox? Because <laughs> when they phased the one the first time that attacked Spock, it fell to the ground, and within 30 seconds, it flew up and stabbed him, or bit him, or whatever, however you want to call it. So yeah, chances were that thing was fluttering around and squeaking and making those noises in the box. I envision it like the episode of The Office, where the bat gets loose. <laughs> <laughs> so they open the toolbox, and all of a sudden, there's this Big piece bag. of flying fake puke flying all over the sick bay in the enterprise and somebody's going it's puke it's puke look out <laughs> i just hope it doesn't land on nurse chapel's hair and then they cover her head with a bag like they did in the office <laughs> well that's just a wig i think she'll be fine <laughs> okay uh, 
so, but I mean, th- this is how science work, right? It works, right. right? They need to, McCoy needs to see if there's something he can do. They need a sample. No better way to, to try to solve the problem than to get a whole creature. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, McCoy's multiple efforts to find some method to kill the creatures retains nothing. I mean, uh, heat doesn't work. Radiation doesn't work. Apparently nothing can kill it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, th- this leaves Kirk to a, a pretty awesome realization, I think. Yeah. I mean, th- and you got to admit, you know, is this where the title comes from? Does it come from the fact that they need to annihilate the creatures or the fact that if he doesn't come up with something, he's got to annihilate everybody on the planet. All the denim yeah. got to die. Million of them. 100,000 in the city, million planet-wide. Not a very big planet if there's only a million people. I'm just going to put that out there. Um, but but yeah, that's and that's a that's a huge decision weighing on his shoulders, including his nephew and first officer. You know, and it, what really gets me about this is it takes until Act 3 to realize this. You know, we're, we're almost most of the way through the show because there's only one act remaining. Mm-hmm. And he, Kirk realizes that this is really what it's about. Um, the creatures have to be stopped here or more people are going to die. And, well, in that case, they may have to wipe everybody out on the planet. It doesn't necessarily kill the creature, but... Um, it, it certainly leaves Kirk and McCoy really in a in a horrible place. Yeah, and, and you're right. It should have taken him a lot sooner because his sister-in-law said they need us to be their arms and legs to build them ships so that they can continue. And Spock pointed out in the teaser of the episode that this insanity had been traveling from system to system in a direct line over the last 200 years. It, it, it was something that I think he should have realized a little bit sooner, um, but he obviously had other things on his mind, like, you know, his dead twin brother. <laughs> Even though he's not his, his twin. <laughs> his dead self. <laughs> his dead self. His hairy So, <laughs> so we, we get to the last act, and, you know, uh, long story short, they decide that, um, well, uh, they got to test something out, and Spock volunteers to be the guinea pig. So McCoy rigs a test cubicle, um, that kind of puts Spock inside to well, eventually be- go through the test. Well, before that, they actually use it on the creature first, um, which is an important part. They He puts the one million candle per inch light onto the creature itself in that, in that lab, which destroys it. And then they have to figure out, now what? We know that it killed the creature. How are we going to test it? But Spock already knows that he's going to be the test subject. And it's funny, when I was watching this the other day, I didn't think of it. I'm like, okay, why aren't they giving him a set of goggles? Take a set of goggles, dude. What are you doing? And then they actually, he actually, because he's Spock, they want to give him one. He goes, no, nobody on the planet's surface has the goggles. I'm not going to use the goggles. I'm like, oh, wow, that's pretty That's pretty human of you. Um, but then he goes into the big uh, metal room. Here to me is the the really most questionable part of the episode. Because it seems like we sacrifice some of the character of McCoy and what we know of him for what makes a better story. You know, Mission Log talks about how, about the gumbification of McCoy, Mm -hmm. more often than how they make McCoy what they need for a given situation in every episode. And I think for me, this is the episode where that is truest. McCoy is, he's, he's a medical doctor. He's a scientist. I mean, in the end of the day, he, you know would not necessarily skip to the end. Right. He would go through the right process and procedure. I have a hard time believing 
that McCoy would go from, wow, we need to throw a million candle power in this small room at somebody. And that couldn't possibly damage their optic nerve. Mm -hmm. That's just, that's not in McCoy's calculus. That's not who he is. And they weren't up against any type of time limit. It's not like in Spock's brain where they only had 24 hours to find him. Otherwise, Spock was going to die. There was no indication that they had to do this by a certain point. Was there a ship that was ready to launch that they had built that these creatures were going to be in? They didn't have any of that information that that we knew of. So you're absolutely right. He jumps to this conclusion. Was it because he was so happy that they found a way to kill it when they had tried so many different things and failed? I don't know, but you're absolutely right. His whole idea of being a doctor and 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 healing goes right out the window in that scene. Um one part of the scene that makes me think of the TNG episode Relics, which you know gets on my nerves mm-hmm. because of the way that they show the Dyson Sphere is way non-proportional as to what it should be if it's encasing an entire star. The amount of light that you see when they throw that million power, that just doesn't work for me, man. I understand it's the 60s, but it's just a spotlight and Spock has his eyes open when they start and it's like, okay, no. Today's technology, that whole room would have been, you wouldn't have seen anything but white on your screen. I get it. It's just the effect that they put the goggles on and everything, but that, that's a bright light. And it wasn't very bright in that scene. <laughs> well, the other thing that bothers me about it, much like relics, is the sort of out of character characterization of a series regular. And that's Kirk. Mm-hmm. You know, in, in Relics, it was Geordi who really was written very anti Geordi. Yes. But Kirk in this episode, gets upset with McCoy for what happened mm-hmm. when Kirk was right there and part of the decision. Ready? Do you mean it tell me? <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting for that. Are you t- oh, no, I'm sorry. I got it wrong. Are you telling me? Are you telling me that Spock not need a bit blinded? <laughs> sorry. Even know. though, ultimately, I mean, Kirk was right there the whole time. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it He's pissed at McCoy when really he should be upset with himself. It's a great, it's a great dramatic moment because uh, yes, it if, is. if you waited 35 seconds, Leonard, you would have gotten that result from the lab and you wouldn't have had to do what you did, but you didn't because you threw all of your years of practice out the window when you found out that this creature died from the light with air quotes. And that's why I say that, 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 that this part of the episode really bothers me because it, it really paints both Kirk and McCoy as different from who we know them to mm-hmm. be. McCoy doesn't cut corners. Yeah. McCoy might take a chance every now and then, but he wouldn't do something like that. Right. And Kirk, you know, McCoy is one of his best friends in, in the galaxy. Um, he's not going to have that level of anger at him for something that he consented to allow on his ship. Mm-hmm. And I also find it interesting, and it makes for a great moment later. As as everything's wrapping up, they're on the bridge. You know, they got the satellites that take care of the of the non blinding light. Which the remastered version, the satellites launching around the planet is pretty cool. I will point really out. cool. But they then it's um sorry I just got distracted. I looked at my window and it's snowing really hard out. So <laughs> happy Thanksgiving. Oh. Um, but um it, it's it, Kirk's on the bridge and he he tells McCoy that everything's working and and. Uh, then Kirk is, is as mad as he was before. He's like, Bones, it wasn't your fault. And the reaction, or should I say the non-reaction of Leonard, speaks volumes. I love it. He just sits there and stares and then cuts the channel. I thought that was a brilliant part of the episode. 
He 100% feels responsible for what Spock is now going to go through for the rest of his life, as he thought. Um, And I thought it was a great way to show the um, guilt as well as the love and friendship that he has for Spock. 100%. I want to clarify um, the fact that I I don't like what happens with Bones and and Kirk in this episode is by no means an indictment of the performance by Mm. DeForest Kelly or William Shatner. Oh, absolutely. Um, D. Kelly does what D. Kelly always does and, you know, puts in a fantastic performance as McCoy. And that moment in particular is, is, is awesome. It is. It resonates the most for me in the episode, you know, above everything else. Um, and plus Shatner in that moment, reassuring Bones, Bones. Uh, as Kirk is fantastic. Bones. The way he says Bones over and over yeah. again, he gets no reply. It's just, it's deafening how quiet it is. And even, even Leonard's reply, oh, thanks. I'll be sure to let him know. He'll, he'll be really happy to hear that. He says Spock will be happy to hear that. I, yeah. It's just another moment that just speaks, speaks so much. And then in the kicker scene, we find out, hey, Spock's not blind. Guess <laughs> what? Vulcans have an inner eyelid. Ah. Um, which is a hereditary trait, um, protected him from the bright light. Uh, wouldn't his doctor know that? <laughs> well, maybe McBenga knew it because he was the Vulcan doctor, but he wasn't in this episode. He was on vacation on Risa. Wouldn't the tricorders <laughs> see that? I mean, the med scan. Yeah. Well, yeah. But hey, Spock's back. Everybody's happy. They've mitigated the situation on Deneva. We can head on to the next place. Yeah. Warp one. Yeah. Um, all in all, a fantastic episode. Um, after this quick break to talk about our friends at Science Division, we're going to come back and talk about some things we like, some things we don't. And um, we'll do that right after this. Please don't tell him I said he was the best first officer in the fleet. It's the holiday season, and our friends at Science Division want you to save some Quatloos. Absolutely. Right now at ScienceDIV.com, you can get free standard shipping on all U.S. orders. But hey, it doesn't stop there. During Science Division's holiday sale, you can get a discount on adopting the Galaxy's first interactive Tribble, as well as add a gift wrapping option to your order. And if you thought it stopped there, I can assure you there is more. Science Division is offering Trek Geeks Podcast Network listeners a special $5 off any order of $50 or more, and that includes Tribbles, T-shirts, or even that Science Division tote bag you've had your eye on. Oh, and you'll get a free Trek-themed mystery item along with your order, so it's like you get an additional present. That's awesome. So just use the special discount code MERRYCOCONUT at checkout for your exclusive $5 discount on your purchase of $50 or more. That's M-E-R-R-Y-C-O-C-O-N-U-T, all in capital letters with no spaces. But be sure to to shop early because this discount code expires at 11.59 p.m. Eastern Time on November 30th, 2022. And uh, Bill, did you know why uh, coconuts are merry? I'm going to tell you. That's because coconuts are not dangerous, my friend. Right. Yep. Happy holidays from Science Division, where trouble's never been this fun. And we thank our great friends at Science Division for sponsoring this week's episode. (laughs) 
man, to kind of wrap it up and take a look at uh, kind of the things we like and don't like about Operation Annihilate. Um, first of all, I got to say, I like Operation Annihilate. <laughs> um, I, I used to admit it begrudgingly because of all of those kind of cost cutting effects like the flying fake puke. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, all in all, uh, it, it's, it's challenges aside, it's a great episode of Star Trek. It's a fantastic episode. I've loved it since I was a kid. Now, I don't remember the first time I saw it or anything, but I do remember that when I saw it as a kid in the 70s, even though they're fake and they look like fake pukes, those things scared me when I was a kid. They really Really? did. The noises they made and just thinking about what it was like to get stung by one of those things and what was going on. And on a side note, we didn't really talk about this before. One of the things that works for me in this episode, when you think about it, this is the first time that we've talked about a collective consciousness aka the Borg, and it's in the original series. And we talk about it's a little bit different, of course, because they're all these individual one-celled organisms. But I thought when they were talking about that collective consciousness, and that's why the phaser fire didn't hurt it, I'm like, oh, wow, this is like a little like um, uh, sciencey version of the Borg. Yeah, you know, that's a great point. And we don't, we didn't really think about it back then, because it was just, okay, yeah, so they're single cells. Great. Mm -hmm. Um, When we think about it today, we think about Wow, that's um, th- that's really kind of kind of bold for the original series to take on yeah. in the '60s. That's some great science fiction right there. Um, what else works for you in in Operation Annihilate? You know, a lot of it works for me. Um, I, I like the idea of this this something just doing a straight line across the galaxy, causing these entire civilizations to go crazy. But as always, the Enterprise swoops in, figures out what's going on, and saves the day. Of course, they're the only ship in the quadrant type of excuse, (laughs) but it still works. I really like it. And we talked about it just a minute ago before we went to the break. Shatner and particularly D. Kelly really do a great job in this episode. That's that's a lot of stress for the doctor to be dealing with. He's trying to figure out how to save his friend. He has no idea what's going on. He sees the damage that's going on inside Spock's body. He still has no idea. He finally thinks he knows what he does. He goes in and he throws his friend in there to, to cure him. And oh my God, I just blinded him forever because I didn't wait long enough because I'm stupid. It And, and D does a great job of putting all those emotions into this one episode. And it just really works for me. I, I can appreciate that. There's some of those elements that don't work for me, and I'll get there in a minute. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, absolutely, the performances of D. Kelly and Leonard Nimoy in particular yeah. absolutely work for me. Plus, I love the location shooting in this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, it is probably some of my favorite real-world location shooting in all of Star Trek because they took uh, an actual place in the 1960s and made it look really cool and futuristic yeah. um, by doing minimal things. You know, um, and I think that's probably one of my favorite things about it. Um, if I get to what else works for me, I really love the teaser in this episode because it really sets you up for something very unexpected. Mm-hmm. Uh, and honestly, I like the explanation that Spock has an inner eyelid. I like that we learned something about Vulcans that we didn't necessarily know before. Right. You know, that's uh, we get to add to the lore of Vulcans in this episode, and that's something mm-hmm. I always love. No, I I agree with you. I, I I also like even though it's 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 a little it's a little corny. 
I like the idea that we get to see some of Kirk's family members, even if it's only for a few seconds. One of them's, yeah. one's dead already. Yeah. One's unconscious the whole episode. We never get to talk to him until he's being taken over by a, an evil lawyer in a big shower curtain a few episodes <laughs> down the road. Um, and then his sister, who does a great job screaming and telling them, he she actually is the person who tells them all what's going on as best she can, and then she dies right away. So yeah. we get to meet Kirk's family, and then they're gone. I, I actually thought that was kind of interesting and kind of gives a little bit of an explanation as to why Kirk is acting the way he does. But we should know Starfleet captains don't have the luxury of acting the way that he does in this episode. Well, and then Star Trek does what it really does well, and that's creates orphans. <laughs> Jeez, wow. Oh, that's okay. terrible. Um, yeah. Let's talk about the things that don't really work. Um, and let's just get it off the off our chest. flying fake puke monsters (laughs) um for as much as they tried to make them scary and as a as a child in the 70s they were scary um but today in 2022 terms the visual just doesn't hold up the visual doesn't hold up and and scary as a kid now just kind of (laughs) gross yeah especially when you see it in really good detail yeah you're kind of you know they're bubbling and they got veins and they're yeah but yeah but like i said even though they don't work the the encompassing acting sets and storyline allow them to work, but they don't work. True. But I mean, it, they are the, the, I don't want to say the villain, but I mean, they're the problem that needs to be solved. And if it takes you out of the episode, just based on that, um, that's kind of a problem. That brings me to one of the other things that I don't like related to the creatures. Yeah. There are a hundred thousand people in this city and the city's abandoned pretty much, except for the people that come out with really interesting weapons, but have already been taken over. Million people on the planet. But yet we only see a few of these creatures in this tiny little room that everybody has to kind of like get down on their knees to see what's going on at the bottom of a staircase that doesn't go anywhere. I don't know sure what was going on with that whole idea for that set. <laughs> <laughs> just saying well i i'm under the impression that you know that sort of overhang where the creatures were that was maybe the main egress from that location or okay. maybe it was off to the off to the side i don't know okay but um but yeah i thought it was weird that they kind of had to duck underneath <laughs> maybe it's because they were going to get fake puke on them i don't know <laughs> I um no the other thing that uh, one of the other things that really doesn't work for me um shatner and a mustache <laughs> um, we may as well get that one out of the way too yeah. because it, it receives a lot of jokes rightfully so um, it's great to see Kirk kind of have that moment of oh that's my brother but when they cut to the the next part of the shot where it's just Shatner lying there dead and with a fake mustache on um, I, I think it, it takes a little bit off the fastball <laughs> it does um, I will say that one part that I like even though I don't like that either is you see Spock trying to say something to Kirk about sorry that your brother's dead. He doesn't really, he's not really able to come out with anything really strong. And Kirk just kind of brushes him aside. It's like, yeah, okay, bye-bye. Um, yeah. Which is kind of un-Kirk-like also. Um, I know, yeah, he just saw the death of his brother and everything. But yeah, that whole, the thing, I don't mind so much the mustached Kirk or mustache Shatner as the lighting for that big reveal of when they turn his body over. It, it, that just didn't work for me. I thought that was kind of, okay, that's weird. What, the lighting wasn't like that a second ago. So <laughs> <laughs> it's it that scene really seems like an afterthought. Um, you know, we need we need to give Captain Kirk something to look at. Um, all right, let's uh, Bill, you want to put on this costume? We'll put a fake mustache on you. It'll be great. <laughs> um 
really the other thing that doesn't work for me just slipped my mind because I was breaking into that explanation of how they came up with that shot. Uh, um, all right, you, you might think of it. There uh, was something else. I got a couple um, other things too. Yeah, so go ahead. Think about it and then we'll see if we can figure it out. The special effects in this episode do not work for me. Even with the remastered version, which there are several remastered shots that are fantastic, but a lot of the special effects that stayed as is even after the remaster doesn't work for me. The phaser fire is extremely sloppy special effects in this episode. The beams aren't even coming out of the right spot in a couple shots. Um, although the, and, and again, we got, is it going to be a green beam? Is it going to be a red beam? We never really know in Star Trek. It all depends on what season or whoever was doing the special effects. But um, although the, the impact point of the phasers was kind of cool, the special effects part of the, of the phaser fire in this episode is very poor. Uh, I'll agree to that. I remember the thing that I forgot. Oh, good. Um, what doesn't work for me is how Spock gets infected. Um, while Leonard sells it with a great look, that whole idea, the the flying fake vomit flopping through the air to land on Spock's back, and then Kirk trying to rip it off, really just doesn't work for me. I like the way the oh. IDW comic did it better. I have not uh, seen that. but Kind of like Alien, where it latches onto Spock's face. Okay. The, the I way think that, that I would have been much more effective and more dramatic. Oh, I think it would have been well, hell of a lot scarier too, which would have yeah. worked. But the way I've always thought of it as, and, and let me let me preface it with this: I can see what you're thinking because he, it lands on his back, and then when Kirk ridiculously pulls it off without gloves or anything, there's no puncture wound or blood or anything on Spock's back. But I've always thought of it as a um, a mantis. You know, mantis's mouth is on the bottom of it in the ocean if you've ever been mm -hmm. with them or gone to the things down in the Caribbean where you can swim with them. So I'm thinking that its mouth is on the bottom and it, it just lands on him and punctures him and infects him with something. That's all. I you mean thinking. a ray and not a mantis? Cause uh, mantis yes, excuse me. Yes. Sorry. A ray. Yes. That's yeah. okay. That, yeah. That's exactly what I mean. But um, that's how I've always thought. I've never thought of it as, as being an issue. It's just the way that it does it. And it's kind of just like, like a bee sting. Like yeah. I think McCoy actually says like a bee or a wasp or something like that. That's how I've always taken it. But uh, that's a good point. I like it. Um, uh, I you know it's just a, it's a personal preference. I I don't think it really takes away from the episode. Mm -hmm. That's just what didn't work for me. Yeah, and that's really the end of my list. The things that I had on my list that I've already talked about aren't big things. They're kind of post production things. Every one of the ones that I really kind of had a problem with the sound editing. I think is not great in this episode, which we already talked about. Um, the special effects I already mentioned, and the fact that we never see this yeoman again. She we never saw her before. She didn't die. She was there for the you know when they when they see these creatures, and she's there for the moment that we all get to see Spock is is able to see and everything's fine. We never see this woman again. And that's kind of a disappointment. Those yeah, are the only things I get. It's, it's kind of weird. Maybe uh, she transferred off the Enterprise to clean up fake puke. <laughs> that's a good way to look at it. I don't know. Uh -huh. Maybe she remained behind on Deneva to um, to help out. I don't know. To, to put those things that they use as weapons back on the art that they took them off. That's right. Yeah, it could be what that's it is. Right. Well, Dan, that's going to conclude our look at Operation Annihilate, um, one that I find infinitely rewatchable, yes. despite the fact that I laugh at some things in it. Um, but it's, it's certainly not a bad way to spend an hour. But isn't that one of the things that we love so much about Star Trek? We love the episodes. They have such meaning, but at the same time, they make us laugh, even when they're not supposed to. I think that's one of the other things that I love about watching these episodes. Kind of like your face. Thank um, you. You know, the other thing that we love. No, I think Dan, I know. The band five-year mission. Mm-hmm. It's, um, 
it's great to have them as a part of Trek Geeks. It's great to have them on the Trek Geeks podcast network. Seriously, if you haven't listened to their music, if you haven't heard their podcast, go get those in your ear holes. Seriously. I mean, they are an amazing band doing an original song for each episode of Star Trek. And uh, it's just, it's, it's not parody. It's not something that makes fun of Star Trek. Right. It enhances what you see in these episodes. So go on out to fiveyearmission.net, get all their CDs, ship them to your front door, give them to friends for the holidays. Guarantee you'll become a huge fan. Uh, fiveyearmission.net. Could not have said it any better, my friend. Um, it's interesting though. Uh, I, th- I don't think it's a coincidence that we kind of talked about this episode today, buddy. Uh, maybe, maybe not. I'm really not sure. But I do know one thing. Those poor people, driven completely insane by the drum beating of a scary alien species, determined to take control so their victims can be their arms and legs, just so that they can build ships and continue the swath of musical destruction across the galaxy. Just, oh, my gosh. I, Sam Kirk knew it. And so did his wife. And they, they paid the price, like so many others on, on that pla- on that planet. Uh, the episode, of course, uh, was Operation Annihilate, and it all took place on Denifark. 100,000 people. Insane. Wow. Denifark. I feel like I've been driven insane just after hearing that, that brief uh. farkism. Uh. Um, you know, I feel like I should have seen that coming. Yeah. But kind of like stepping on a garden rake. I feel like it smacked me square in the face and probably broken my nose. You're welcome. Um, I might be concussed. I'm happy about that. Um, <laughs> anyway, Denifar, fi- remember it. Yeah, no, d- please don't repeat it. It's, it's, <laughs> it's killing me. You know, kind of like the pain that Spock is in in this episode. That's what I feel right now. <laughs> I can't yeah. argue with that. Really Fiveyearmission.net. Go get those CDs, y'all. Of course, don't forget, you too can support the Trek Geeks Podcast Network by subscribing to us on Patreon. Uh, Dan, so many fantastic and wonderful people who um, who help us produce so many podcasts, mm-hmm. um, and we could literally could not have done it without them. We absolutely can't do it without them. We thank them every single day. We, we are just so thankful. We've made so many friends through Patreon, which is such an important part of the whole thing, um, and, and as being part of Patreon, you can get pins, you can get t-shirts, and who wouldn't want to hear unedited shenanigans of Bill and I? I mean, you, you just got to check it out. Uh, but right now, we want to take a moment to thank our associate producers for Trek Geeks. As I said, we are so grateful for their support, and they are long list, so strap yourselves in. Vikram Bhatt, Chad Clark, Brad DeMag, William Edward M. Jr., Patrick Escadero, Brandon Everidge, Andy Fark, Kimberly Francis, Jonathan Hamilton, Peter Hong, William Jackson, Ryan Jeffs, John Krikorian, Sean Lynn, Rick Mason, Jamie McGregor, Ross McKinney, Jim McMahon, Aaron Mollenkoff, Helen Reed, Sarah Rutlinger, Tim Robertson, Desi Rogers, Greg Rozier, Eric Sakian, Adam Sanders, Tim Serdar, Heather Sohn, Blake Strike, Rick Tatro, Lisa Tomlinson, Ron Robel, and the gracious and wonderful Connie Hutchins. Uh, there it is, the Schwarzenegger. I was mm-hmm. that. Okay. Um, and it's so gracious and so wonderful. I mean, come on. Of course, Dan, we want to thank our Trek Geeks producers for their support. They are Mike Bovia, Steve Bovia, Chaz Bradshaw, Kyle Castillo, Peter Craig, Andy Davenport, Craig Ewing, Jackie and Chris Hackney, Kimberly Hartman, David Hood, Lionel Marchon, Matt McGonagall, Darren Metcalf, Charlie Mulvey, Sean O'Halloran, Casey Pettit, Jamie Rogers, Major Self, Casey Shafsky, Terry Schull, Jim Stoffel, Chris Trebuzio, Ken Tripp, Christina Werther, and the lovely and talented 
Jess Vashon. Dan, the senior producer of Trek Geeks, is the sensationally spectacular Jude Tatman. Could that also be the spectacularly sensational? Absolutely, it could. That's right. Four adjectives right in a row. You too can become a producer on the Trek Geeks Podcast Network, and it's so easy to do. Head on over to patreon.com slash trekgeeks for all the details. Dan, as the holiday season kicks off, we're going to be away the next couple of weeks, um, but we do have some big stuff in store for the podcast in the final weeks of 2022. Uh, Yeah, we certainly do. But first, we're going to take a couple of weeks off, like you said. Next week, of course, we're going to be celebrating the Thanksgiving holiday here in the United States. So happy Thanksgiving to all of those who celebrate. And then I am once again headed down to the warmth of Florida and the happiest place on Earth for, yes, another Disney vacation. Uh, Later in December, uh, we have our big 300th episode to look forward to. And yes, it's happening. The return of the outtake specials. But before that, when I get back from Disney, it's hard to believe that it's been over five years since the kickoff of the modern Trek era with Star Trek Discovery. But it has been five years, and we're going to deep dive into the one that started it all. Episode one of Star Trek Discovery, The Vulcan Hello. And it's next time on Trek Geeks, the flagship of the Trek Geeks podcast network. There are times where I'd like to give you a Vulcan hello. Just a great big punch in the mouth. Hello! Just to get it over with. (laughs) Um, let's try that next time. Uh, let's do it. Right. I'll be right over. For more great Star Trek discussion, please do check out the other member podcasts here on the network. We, you know, we have such such great people producing fantastic shows. And, of course, they're all passionate fans who just want to celebrate Star Trek, this franchise that we love, and Gene's vision. So you can find all our podcasts in the free Trek Geeks mobile app, or you can get a link to visit... Uh, visit to listen on your favorite podcast player mm. by visiting trekgeeks.com slash listen. That's what happens when I take my eyes off the coffee. Uh, trekgeeks.com slash listen. Don't, don't stare at me during the podcast. Just read your copy. The Trek Geeks Podcast Network. No one talks Trek like we do. That's so true. You know, well, it's hard because sometimes I, I can't believe what I'm looking at on the screen because it, it makes me feel so nauseated. Oh, oh, hey, yeah. flying puke. There you go. It, Hey, and of course, for all the news on all the Star Trek CEO, <laughs> please <laughs> visit look- our great friends at treknews.net. And of course, look for an, a news episode in their, your feed this week, because we have something big to talk about. Mm-hmm. Uh, for now, if I can get through it, this has been episode <laughs> episode number 297 of the Trek Games podcast. We do hope you all live long and prosper. You all set there, buddy? I don't know. <laughs> okay. I really don't know. Well, I got to tell you, we have this. Uh, these Vulcans have an inner eyelid. They tend to ignore it, as we would our own coconut. I ignore coconut as many chances as I get because it's terrible, just like your face. Music for Trek Geeks is provided by Five Year Mission. They're writing an original song for each episode of Star Trek. Hear more of their music at fiveyearmission.net. Trek Geeks is a production of Coconut Media Works. Executive producers Bill Smith and Dan Davidson. For more great Star Trek discussion, discover the other shows of the Trek Geeks podcast network at trekgeeks.com or find us in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app.
I say big bong to you, young Daniel. Hello, governor. Big bong. Right, oh. Hello. Let's put a little shrimp on the barbie. Oh, wait. That's two countries. That's the wrong. So, oh, so. Yeah. I, always do, I always do that. I did that once to my cousin, Matt, who's in London. We did a, we were doing a shot for something during COVID and we did a video and it was Sue and I, and, and I did the whole thing as an Australian <laughs> talking about English stuff. Like this here drink's going to cost you four bits, mate. <laughs> I've oh got my it on my God. phone still. It's pretty great. I loved it. I, I got to say, I patted myself on the back of that because it was funny. <laughs> oh, so you did it intentionally. Yes. Yes. <laughs> See, with you, you never know. <laughs> yeah, I was like, yeah, I'm going to do this. And Sue's like, the whole time, she's like, what are you doing? <laughs> it was pretty I'll never forget the the one meme I saw. Um, this is, if you want to say the word razor blades and sound like you're from Australia, just say rise up lights very quickly together. Rise up rise lights. Up lights. <laughs> That's funny. That's, that's pretty, for you, Blake Strike. That's pretty good. Rise of lights. <laughs> that rise of lights. <laughs> that's awesome. That way, and it's amazing. I mean, yeah. it, it works. It and, does. And, you know, I when I first told that to Dan Kreger, you know, who, yeah. who did a, a Seattle Skip It with us back yep. in the day, um, he just started swearing at me because it was just so beautiful. <laughs> I like swearing at you for other reasons, but being beautiful is a new one, so that's good. Well, no, I wasn't beautiful. Uh, the The fact that that thing worked. Believe me, I know. Hey, I am beautiful. You look no at you matter your, what they say. Look at you. Words <laughs> can't bring me down. <laughs> Don't you bring me down today. I'm gonna puke a black. Alright, that's a dramatic reading of oh, Beautiful was, by Christina Aguilera. That was very great. That was very good. Very, Thank you. Very good. Thank you. Now, one of my favorite songs from her though. And you know I'm a I'm a ex Dina fan, so yeah. So. I'm sorry. Well, no, no. <laughs> back back to fanboy button. I, I knew that was gonna be coming. I'm that's sorry, how it's did you, spelled. Yeah. Uh, no, 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 no. It's not. <laughs> her Christina. name is actually spelled Christina. Oh, I know, but like her, like the like the logo or like whatever. But on Facebook, on one album, uh, yeah. But uh, she used it on Facebook too, so that's where I see it. It's Xtina. Because we, you know, I'm, no, I'm, no, I'm not Christina friends. Aguilera. I'm not friends with her on Facebook. Chris- I didn't say friends. Yeah. Why are you following Christina Aguilera? I'm sure Facebook? I followed her a long, long time ago. Yeah, I'm sure you followed her like last week. No, it's a long time. It was. I don't. I barely go on Facebook anymore. So, yeah. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah. Extina. This is all very sus. Very suspect. I, you want if you want, I if you want to bore the listeners, I can go into Facebook and find the actual date that I did it. It might take some time though. Because no, see, I, I, don't, I just want to prove you wrong at this point. No, no, it's not about proving me wrong. It's the fact that you did it in the first place. It doesn't matter when it was. <laughs> Why not? I'm a fan. Nothing wrong with that. Jerk. Hey, don't be a hey, jerk. You, you follow 17? the office? No. Oh, okay. Never mind then. <laughs> I'm lucky I follow Star Trek. Uh, that's only that's because true. I have a Star Trek podcast. That's right, because social media is a cesspool of of evil and, and divisiveness, and I hate every form of it. Well, no, that's because, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a mover and shaker in the Star Trek community, don't you know? Mm. Um, and I usually find out these things before mere mortals like Dan Davidson. Mere mortals. Yeah. Meaning I am something greater. Oh, oh, I've known that forever. I mean, that's, yeah. that's why I'm here, so I can learn from the best. Don't, don't I know? I just ride my coattails. Exactly. You know what? Might as well get the credit while I can, because <laughs> once you're gone, it's all downhill from here, baby. Where am I going? Well, I don't, I don't know. I'm just saying it happens eventually to all of us. We're only human. Now I feel like I have to look over my shoulder. <laughs> don't look there. Ah. <laughs> 
So, 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 um, we are, of course, next week is Thanksgiving, which is in the United States, which is very yep. exciting. Um, and, uh, you'll be doing your thing for the holiday and we'll be doing our thing. But right after the holiday, I'm off to Disney. So I'm like, oh, when are we going to do a bunch of the stuff that we want to do for preparation for the holidays? So we did yep. a little early. Company was outside today putting the Christmas lights on the house and it looks pretty awesome and I'm pretty excited. Yeah. So it got me in the in the Christmas spirit. So I grabbed my artificial tree to put here in the office in the podcast That's studio. That's what I was waiting for. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I put the tree up, put the lights on, plugged it in. Half the lights don't work because I forgot to plug it in to check them first. So yay. So I get to go to the store tonight and get some new Christmas lights that will probably die next year. I just don't understand it, what we've, how long has there been electricity? Like a hundred years? Oh, I think it's even longer than that. Yeah. Oh, I mean, at least in, in most areas, yeah. we'll say that, uh, that the whole country has had electricity for about a hundred years. Okay. Okay. Hmm. Um, in that time, could nobody invent a strand of Christmas lights that doesn't mysteriously break while it's in a closet in a box? Doing nothing. Doing nothing. No current work going finally, through it. Finally, take it off the tree. Yeah. You go to put it on the tree next year, a strand doesn't work. I, yeah. What the hell? Yeah. It's very strange. I mean, it's, I mean, it's not a big deal. They're not super expensive, but it's. I, I spent a lot of time putting those lights on, and I forgot to check it first. So I'm like, oh, yay, going to plug it in. I got my new Enterprise up there that I got last year, and I just ordered all the ornaments for the, so that they can all talk to each other and do mirror, mirror the episode, and boom, yep. half the lights don't work. So I'm like, oh, great. So I get to take it all apart. I was going to put all the ships on and everything today. As you can see with my camera, I got all the stuff on the bed. I got all the ornaments out, ready to yes. pack and everything. Uh, yeah, they'll be sitting there for another couple of days. <laughs> it's just, it's it's maddening. Maddening. It's, it's like it more face. maddening than you. I know, I already um, got into your face. I know, you, I was taking a breath. I couldn't I couldn't help it. I'm short breath. If you could stop taking breaths, that would be <laughs> ideal. <laughs> Pretty much for everybody. I just mean in general. Oh, okay. Sorry, I thought you meant right now. She's going to have a death on camera or whatever. I don't know. Yeah, no, that, that that that's that's what I'm going for. <laughs> so is that a Red mean, Sox or Patriots sweatshirt that you have on Boston today? Boston Patriots sweatshirt. Oh, wow. Old school. Okay. That's an old one. My wife got this for me about 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. And I'm just getting to the point where I'm starting to think about retiring it because it's getting a little um, long in the tooth. But yeah. um, she got this for me the, um, the 60th anniversary season. Ah. So that would have been 2010. Yeah, I think so. Is that right? Yeah, it is. Yeah. Gophers have long teeth. Did you know that? Or 50th anniversary season. My bad. Yeah. Yeah. What are you? <laughs> Just long in the tooth is always a phrase that I found quite funny. A lot of rodents have the teeth that are like really long. You're uh, wearing a Trek Geeks Mission Chicago t-shirt today. Yeah. And, Isn't uh, that ironic? <laughs> and there sure as heck won't be a Mission Seattle. That's nope. for sure. Uh-huh. Yeah. We're going to be talking about that. Or we already did talk about it for those of you who are listening because this is at the end of the podcast. But yeah. Well, you have to go out and get the uh, the separate news podcast, the news. Uh, that's right. Trek yeah, Geeks. it's going to be on the news part. Yes, that's right. Or the news Never. from Trek, Ge- uh, the news from TrekNews.net. Yes, um, which will be in the Trek Geeks feed. So dun 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 dun. The only story this week. That's um, it because it is that big. Um, a lot of polarizing reactions on either side. I saw some. You know, I, I went into the uh, um, mission Star Trek mission whatever Twitter account. Uh, with the announcement, and I was reading through some. Some people were really like, you know, okay, dude, that's really not necessary to reply the way that you did. I, I can't repeat it here. It's like, really, dude? Do you, that's just wow. Anyway, 
Yeah, no, you're it's not up, wrong. It's upsetting. Yeah, people are mad. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm upset for the people that can't go. We weren't going, so it doesn't affect me at all or you. Um, but it's a disappointment, and I'm, we're going to get into that in great detail. Yeah, the only thing that uh, th- that we really won't be subjected to as a result of this con being canceled is uh, FOMO, a fear of missing out. True. Um, yep. Because honestly, I was I was feeling that. It's like, well, what's yep. going to happen? Well, it's like we won't be there. That'll stink. Um, but they've kind of negated that for us. Right. Very selfish, True. I know, but, um, I, I, I'm not going to apologize for it because it's, it's my fandom. There you go. Absolutely. And I, I don't know what's going to happen next, but, uh, I guess it's a wait and see game at this point. It's kind of like, uh, the next Star Trek movie. <laughs> <laughs> which will, which will happen first? Good an, question. An, an official Star Trek convention or a Star Trek four? Mm, that's a oh at this boy. Point. I don't know which. I don't know what I take the bet on that one. I, Ooh. I, at this point, it is a dead heat. <laughs> it, absolutely, you might have that little infinity symbol going because it's never going to happen. I might post this as a poll question on the Trek Geeks Twitter. I like that. Let's do it. Absolutely. And I don't know oh, what I'll vote. Terrible. I might not even be able to vote. You can vote. <laughs> no, I don't know what I'm going to choose. <laughs> you could eeny meeny, you know, and uh, uh, or yeah. you could just flip a coin. Yeah, that's not vote. That's not uh, see a coin is this thing that people use as a form of you know currency. They used to be made out of silver, but these days it's mostly silver colored copper. I say that because I know you don't carry a whole lot of cash, and I don't either. I don't. I don't like carrying cash at all. I do have a quarter right here on my desk, which is very rare, and it's got a paperclip attached to it. I'm not sure why that's there either. No um, comments. Uh, yeah. that's not going to get us busted for having it you know, to be explicit. Uh, yeah, so um, I, I don't. I don't carry cash. I don't like to carry cash because then it gets spent faster, um, yeah. and it's dirty. <laughs> Your face is dirty. Thank you. You ready to do this? Let's do it. <laughs> happy uh happy thanksgiving to those of you celebrating next weekend yeah. for those of you who are not happy thursday absolutely there you go always a reason to celebrate bill something send your message i did already i did at 29 oh well aren't you special all right here we go with news <laughs> 